0: Given your experience in the uh, advertising industry, the contradictory, conflicting messages we get—how are we going to deal with that?
1: There are, there are, and I, I mean, this is why I think we agree that at uh, the forefront of what needs to be done and um, is being done. In it actually, it's educating and educating through putting out the right messages, encouraging people to do the right thing, and just encouraging the citizen, the consumer, to do that is not good enough. You have to actually work on those who deliver the messages, i.e., through the media. For example, I think probably with the exception of Nigella Lawson, it's fair to say that most chefs now, cooks, and of course there are lots of programmes on television about that, are actually putting out strong, actually very good, positive messages about health, about what's good to eat. If you look through a schedule of programming for the week, you'll see all sorts of things from people being much more focused on outdoor living, outdoor life, through to Jamie Oliver encouraging us to eat more fish, country living... There's there's a lot more of this, almost subliminally now, I think Mm. you you must agree, happening in the media. And I've I've been extremely outspoken when I was at the Advertising Association in contrast with what we we call zero-size models. I think the industry has an important role to play, The, the fashion industry, in saying, actually, this is not a good projection of women. And that's when I said at the end of my talk, in some areas I think we've got to get much tougher. Because if we're just going to continue with girls who look extremely thin, uh, we know that that creates and must add to issues relating to the opposite end of obesity, which, of course, you know, is just as dangerous for young people. So I accept there are contradictions out there, but I don't want to live in a world without advertising and without choice. What we've got to do is put Onto the individual the responsibility to take a look at themselves, think about their own well-being, and make them feel good about themselves in a very positive way.
0: And what about your thoughts on the question here? People who have more chaotic lives who may not enjoy the support of social networks.
1: Well, that's where I think it's really important for to have the involvement of yourselves, of the third sector, of those who actually understand the issues that we face. I mean, I am not an expert in this area, but I would be looking to mind and to others and we talked to a number of people in different charities and had them involved also in the Public Health Commission to understand how we can reach different vulnerable groups in society and people who aren't going to necessarily understand uh, with ease what it is we're trying to achieve but it's amazing when you think about some of the storylines forget that's one that's just been I think is in Coronation Street or EastEnders but on the whole the storylines even in soaps are actually helping people to understand just what alcohol can do. There are some positive things out there but people who are confused by these messages need to have a different and much more bespoke approach.
0: And, Andrew on this same point I mean, is there a risk do you think that uh, nudge techniques might actually accentuate health inequalities if we end up with some groups in the population responding to choice architecture in a positive way and others not? Well
2: th- I don't think one size is ever going to fit all and uh, I think nudge is a, a good example of Things that can be done differently. For example, Peter was talking about uh, seatbelts and drink driving. I think there's a, a role for legislation, regulation, and then changing public perceptions that then uh, takes a behavior and makes it uh, absolutely the, the exception. I think the next challenge, if you like, that at the turn of the century, it was clean water and social housing, we then had a period of where government's been able to legislate and regulate and take the next tier of things. I really see the next challenge is around health improvement. And the only way you're going to be able to deal with health improvement is engaging with people as individuals. And that's why I think individual health assessments, working with a whole variety of players, not necessarily in the NHS, is probably the way forward. And you know, the question from mind is, well surely it should be the mental health charities that are engaging with these these, these vulnerable groups. With gyms and health assessments we engage with certain clients and under the change for life banner. I think working with local councils, 30,000 children learned to swim in our pools last year. These things are only, hap- only possible if you ask a whole variety of different groups to respond, but a government has to make sure that they look after the most vulnerable and those needy groups that might otherwise get left behind.
0: David, you raised the issue of volunteering, and a colleague at the back has challenged you a bit on that. What can government do to encourage and secure greater volunteering in society? I mean, actually, I think it's not only about volunteering. If i make a small point, which a lot of it is about reciprocity. And some of these most powerful examples are about reciprocity. And there are interesting examples just specifically in health. There's Elder Plan in the U.S. got some of those characteristics where someone recovering from an illness is helped. I don't know if you guys do that. Enough at all, but, and then generally, you know, someone in that situation, if you ask them, would you help someone else? And most people would be delighted to do so. An example of it, I think, was brought home to me about some arguments about who runs canteens and so on in hospitals actually Mm. there's been a bit of a movement towards you know you just get your starbucks in and so on and as opposed to you know who wants the volunteers who make these slightly (coughs) boiled up sandwiches. well it's just actually they turn out of course they're doing lots of other things too in terms of the kind of (coughs) nurturing and support that they are offering in a context (coughs) and they often think there's been a tendency to fail to value that so because we just had the giving green paper which is by giving and whatever and one of the things you can try and do, there's a lot of interest about, is trying to lower those three terms, the transaction costs, the barriers to being able to help even in small amounts. At the piece of point is there's a long history which in fact goes back before and lots of great examples. Like the fact conservatives campaign in the eighties on, on AIDS it was a remarkable in terms of the number of lives it probably saved. I think one of my favourite ones is actually go back to um, Manny Corner in nineteen twenty one. First time because all these car accidents were happening. And someone had the bright idea, why don't you put a white line in the middle of the road? First one in Britain. You know, of course, you could have banned cars or whatever, but actually, it works pretty well. It spread. Indeed, interesting. It was a local innovation that then spread. So it's not that we haven't been doing this stuff for a while. I just think that in terms of the overall balance of our effort, as you uh, indicated, including on the research side, it just hasn't <coughs> sort of squared up to you the underlying kind of variance might be explained. Um, do you want to do one or two those or not? Very interesting and important issues you raise about some at-risk populations, particularly mental health, who have much. I mean, one of the characteristics is much more limited and, and differently structured social networks, actually. We do know a lot about this already. I mean, from previous administration, a lot of work was done on social exclusion, um, which essentially results from the, those ACE pilots. You probably know that consistent adult essentially was key in terms of care. And one of the challenges must surely be in terms of policy reform, not only for health, is integrated provision around some high need individuals like that. I personally think there's another interesting area, which is around community care and often the models we've had by linking together the housing element and the care element in a certain kind of bundle means that because it's presumed, a certain sort of model of you will move on. And then everything goes at once. And then and it's one of the things that exaggerates the revolving door model. And I, I think there's a lot of things we could do in that sort of space without dwelling on it. The other thing is, of course, it's the populations you talk about. Actually, sure I can see this colleague over the back from DH but who raised, I wasn't aware of it quite so sharply myself but a lot of the excess mortality in some of those populations is to do with excess smoking and so on specifically in those groups so it's those behavioral factors looming large in those populations and what we could do more it requires a segmented uh, approach one very quick one on some of this issue about the ecology so i mean clearly that's a story multiple mm-hmm. fact. one of the things that we often accept when we talk about behavior change is that there's just lots of things which sort of lock us into a sort of set of behaviors at any given time. I do think we've, we've certainly been very actively engaging with private sector partners and so on. It's one of the characteristics of the new administration, I think, to work. I mean, if we just take the example of a supermarket, think about a supermarket, what it's potentially in its hands to be able to do about healthy behavior. The level of information and the feedback could give you, not only in your individual labels, which actually labels by the way, interesting example of where there's evidence that can um, done rightly, right kind of heuristics. George Loewenstein did these various kind of trials. which works and what doesn't the most effective one he found with visual heuristics including body shapes you know if you eat this mars bar for the next year what (laughs) what shape will you end up that works pretty well And it turns out it works particularly well on some of the most at risk populations Mm -hmm. actually because it doesn't particularly go on a conscious level you might think feedback about imagine not just the individual things what's the calorific and nutritional balance of your basket over the last three months and here's some alternatives you might want to consider right imagine that kind of you can design that relatively easily or one we put in the report even simple cues about in Mexico just putting in a, a marker in the trolley shows if this is for your fruit and veg that so becomes a very powerful problem it increases the amount of fruit and veg that you buy you know without any further price signals yep. so there's lots of things that could be done I agree if we can kind of get that partnership working mm-hmm. okay well, can,
1: can I just say very quickly too on that just to accentuate that in my experience just working the phones and just asking as you say asking people for help I mean, it's amazing. People want to impart their knowledge. They want to feel they're a, a part of something important. They want to give back. They want to be involved. And it's amazing. You talk to one supermarket, then the others get all a bit, why isn't she calling me? Hmm. And the same with the fitness companies, the hmm. same with the media companies and so on. And then you start building this fantastic synergy. So it's, it's about using people rather than saying, Oh, we don't trust you, keep you at bay, we know best and so on. It's, it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer.